All right, we're live. All right, guys, welcome to the Industrial Marketer Podcast, the podcast for industrial marketers by industrial marketers in the manufacturing space. And we are both doing this very remotely today. So uh, I am recording this from Atlanta. And MJ, you are in? I'm in uh, Colorado. Yeah, so both both away from home doing these podcasts for different reasons. But um, anyway, we, um, we don't have a guest lined up today. This is going to be one of the first podcasts we've done that this is going to be the first podcast that we've done actually that doesn't have a guest. But we thought we, were, we, thought we would talk about content, um, which we've talked about with a couple guests on the show. But uh, I think we want to touch more about our own evolution of content. And I think, man, it's moved really quickly over the last six months to a year, I think, the way people are consuming it. And so we want to kind of start with how we got started doing content in the industrial space and sort of what we've learned along the way, what worked then, what works now, and kind of how we're approaching it um, in this day and age to help drive revenue for our respective companies. So uh, MJ, I want to, I guess I want to start with you. I mean, you're obviously on the VP level, so you're very strategic with the way you approach content, but tell me a little bit about sort of when you got started at Firetrace, what was your initial approach to content and how did you think about it as a, as a, as a marketing leader? I'm going to go even earlier than that, actually. I'm going to sure, start. Go, go way back. When I was, childhood. Uh, <laughs> when, not childhood, but when I, was, uh, when I was an individual contributor at Sensorex, which is the company I was at before Firetrace, it was kind of the first time I got introduced to content. And I guess you could say the original content in the industrial space is brochures. Yes. And this was kind of like my first foray into marketing. And um, Chris Walker was running the marketing department there. So I was working for him. I was kind of like an intern. I was going to be there for like six months, part of this leadership rotation program. That's the Chris Doing Walker marketing. Labs, right? Yeah, yeah. He was, the, he was technically the product manager, but he also did all the marketing. And um, when I first came, they, they just launched a new website, uh, totally kind of overhauled their approach because he had become super interested in inbound marketing in educational content. So they probably launched a, well, launched a website with like 100 pages, maybe, maybe 75. Um, but it was all answering people's questions, education first, like not trying to sell, but there was an e-commerce component as well. And, uh, and so my job, right after they had launched the new website, one of my first projects was launch the blog. And I didn't really know what blogging was used for in business, like at all. And so I went on LinkedIn learning, it was called lynda.com at the time. I started listening to um, all of the courses about blogging, like why you should start a business blog, uh, you know, what are the tips and best practices and what I learned from that is really like how to get discovered via SEO. So I, my first couple of blog posts, like I was just getting ideas from the VP of sales. He was like, write about this and I would write about it and then nobody would come to the blog. So I was like, this is a waste of time, right? I'm writing these blogs. Sometimes I'd make brochures, right? Coming back to that idea of the brochure, the original content industrial company, all all the time making brochures writing blogs and nobody consumes it and that's when I discovered SEO and I was like if I write these posts for SEO then people will actually consume it and also the flip side of that was like I got a ton of content ideas and didn't always have to rely on the VP sales for my content ideas I could like go into AdWords go into the keyword planner look at all the you know words that were being searched and questions and stuff 
And then I would just go to one of the sales engineers or I'd go to the technical support manager and I'd be like, explain this concept to me. Cause I had no idea. Like I'd worked at the company for like two months, which was great actually, because then they would break it down for me. And I would have to ask all these questions to actually understand what they were saying. And then I would just sit down and in two or three hours, I would just write down all that information. And I do that like once a month, probably mixed in with all the other stuff I was doing. And those pages got tons and tons of traffic. So by the time I left my page, which eventually became the pillar page for one of the topics, which was pool chemistry, was the third most visited page on the whole site within just a couple months. Very nice. Um, just because I answered all these questions and uh, I thought it was kind of fun. You know, I like wrapping my head around scientific concepts and then like writing it back down in plain English. Um, and that's really how I got started in the power of SEO, right? It really became clear to me at that time because we got so much more traffic. We got so many more leads. So like in two years, we increased organic search traffic 700%, increased the number of leads probably two or three X. And during that same time, revenue increased 25%. So I was like, you got to get people to consume content. And at that time, the only thing I knew how to do was to get people to consume content by making it SEO content. And I've learned a lot since then, but that's kind of how I got started. Okay. I like how you, even though you, you talked about you like, you like breaking scientific things down, you didn't even take like a fully scientific approach to it, but you actually took it with more of a curiosity uh, to answer people's questions. And so even using something like Keyword Planner, which I think today people wouldn't consider that to be the best tool, but even then it was still, you were just being scrappy about it, right? Because these were the tools you had at your disposal. So you were like, okay, like I have this and then let me validate that with my subject matter expert. They're the ones who do this frontline facing. Obviously, I know you were just a couple months in. Now it's like, I would go talk to the customer myself and say, hey, do you, do you wonder about this? Or is this a topic that comes up for you or a concern? But yeah, go to your subject matter expert and break that down. So yeah, I think that's, that's super interesting. So what was your, what blogs were your idea of content then? Um, how did it evolve beyond SEO? Like, where did your where did your thought process move from there? So you saw the power of SEO. You saw it correlate to lead gen, and you saw it correlate to revenue, which I think are, are the things that any marketer wants to see wants to see those dots connect. So, what, did there become like a ceiling that you reached uh, when it came to that for SensorX, or even when you moved on? And then, what was sort of the next evolution for you in content development? The next evolution was uh, when Chris left SensorX, we kind of stayed in touch. He went to Vapotherm and, um, you know, I was like the annoying intern that he had to work with for six months. And then I just kept like following him and, and you know, we would talk every once in a while. And, and he got super into HubSpot. Like he was super excited about HubSpot. I love and, all the Chris Walker backstory. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like, I got so many ideas from him. Like he, he was, he was a couple of years ahead of me in his career. And so he just like, you know, was discovering this stuff and I'd be like, Oh, that sounds smart. I'm going to do that too. So he discovered HubSpot. He loved it. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to look into this. He showed, I remember like we were on a call one time and he showed me like, his dashboard in HubSpot. And it was like the standard dashboard that HubSpot like imports into every single account that has yeah. like um, visits, leads, yeah. customers. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, look at all this data. It's so cool. You know? <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to like look more into HubSpot. And so I started, you know, looking at the HubSpot blog and 
and you know they've got so much awesome content and and obviously they've got their whole inbound sales process dialed so like within two days of that i had a, a rep um who, who reached out to me caitlin caster um i think her name is caitlin mcdonald now she got married since then um awesome sales rep i remember being so impressed through the entire sales process i was like man you know if i was training somebody on how to do sales i would hope that they would turn out as as awesome as she was um and it was totally educational, right? It was, um, I didn't know what I was looking for. Uh, HubSpot did a great job of kind of illuminating things for me. I thought that it was like an e-commerce tool when I was first looking at it, which is completely wrong. Um, but we were, you know, we had that e-commerce store. So the VP of sales was interested in growing the e-commerce sales. But, you know, through that sales process, I actually discovered, okay, there's more to this than just increasing sessions through SEO. There's like, middle of the funnel content and bottom of the funnel content and you can do webinars right and you can do different formats and at the time i was doing the uh i was doing a lot of gated stuff so that i could get more email addresses um but i took the same approach to it right it was like curiosity you know lead with curiosity i would ask about a specific application and break down all the elements of the water quality in like you know a cooling tower or like a boiler um you know anywhere you use sensors which are those are like things that generate power mm -hmm. um and you can massively increase efficiency if you if you treat your water right because if you don't you get like buildup of scale and stuff inside these big industrial plants and and it decreases efficiency so i was like breaking that down on webinars i would create like buyers guides and gate those um, and that's how we really started to increase leads but it also allowed me to like see all the contacts in HubSpot and like every page they were looking at and what they would say when they submitted a form. And that was just information I never had before. So my ability to like market to people just skyrocketed because I just had all this information at my fingertips, which was super fun. Um, plus I was like learning about marketing automation through that whole time. So that was kind of the next step in the journey. Yeah, yeah, awesome. That's so cool. So tell me about kind of today, um, you make content, you guys at Firetrace make content differently now than you did back at SensorX where it was more SEO and you now do it more for, first off, why did you do that? What, what necessitated that? And then what did you end up doing? Well, again, uh, you know, following Chris on Instagram, he would like put it in his Instagram stories sometimes. He would put like, the picture of his Google Analytics at Vapotherm, the real-time report, with like 500 people on the website for social media. <laughs> and and uh, I don't think I had ever seen more than 10 people on the SensorX website when I looked at that real-time report, ever. And I was like, how is he getting 500 people to come to his website? This is insane. So um, I thought that he must be doing something right. And this is like around the time that he, he, I mean, he left Vapotherm, he went to another company, um, Eversound, was doing some similar stuff there, and then he started his own company, Refine Labs, in April 2019. Yeah. And so I, uh, I was like, I will work with you, you know, like, you should work with us, you know, what, what's your rate? He didn't even have a rate, really. He just, like, started consulting with us for 100 bucks an hour. And he, like, showed us how to, how to distribute via social media. And um, at the time, I didn't understand this concept, but it's like you can use ads to guarantee delivery of content. So instead of me having to write the piece of content for the search engine, so that the search engine would deliver the content for me, I could write whatever I wanted 
and put it for a small fee into the feeds of the people that I wanted to see it. And so that totally changed the approach, right? And at first I didn't really realize that. I had to learn like, okay, now you're writing content for social, not for SEO. And so we would write shorter content. We would write, what's that? You're answering it for me right now. I was gonna say, how is that different? How is writing for SEO different than writing for social? And how do you structure yeah. the strategy differently actually is my, is my next question. Yeah, so uh, shorter content for social, headlines that sound like news articles are huge. The creative, like the picture you use with your, with your post on social is really important. It can literally, you know, triple the number of people that will read your content if you have the right picture versus the wrong picture, which is insane. I, that doesn't actually um, change how you write it, but like it changes what's the right how picture? you like what is that? What does that look like for someone? Yeah, we so original photography almost always performs better, but honestly, versus like stock, because people like think people associate in their head they think stock photos are marketing stuff, and people don't want to be marketed to, right? So. If they see a photo that looks like, you know, just a little bit less polished, I think people are like, ah, oh, this is, you know, this is real. So this um, is important for industrial people to listen to because there is a habit for a lot of industrial companies to over edit your art, artwork, your photography. Like, like people do not over, and this is especially true. I see this a ton for European based manufacturers who really like to put a lot of editing into their photography. And I would recommend pro tip from MJ do not do that. Be comfortable with just a raw, authentic photo of your product in action um, and trust that that's going to resonate more with your target audience if you're going to use this strategy. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead and continue. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And then the other piece of it is just if you don't have any original photography, try to get it. And that's going to be kind of tricky during COVID. It's also kind of tricky if you're a new marketer and you don't have any relationships with end users, which is common for new marketers and industrial companies, but just like keep at it. Um, the first time we got a bunch of awesome original photography, one of our customers, our end users had a fire and we put out the fire for them. So they were super excited. And so, you know, we asked them, hey, can we come and do some photography, do a case study? And they said yes, just because they were grateful that the product worked. Mm -hmm. So the friendlier the customer, the more they like your product, the more likely they are to say yes to that stuff. And you just gotta, it's kind of intimidating to ask, but you just gotta, do it just ask also incentivize i mean a, a tip for people we do this at gravy um offer guys a doordash gift card or something like that like hey i'll give you guys a 25 dollars doordash gift card you guys can buy yourselves lunch if you can give me a couple of just iphone shots because honestly you don't need you don't need like a 20 meg photo um for your website because you don't want images that big anyway so just get a good authentic horizontal plane shot of your photo to use on your website or for for social and just bribe. I mean, $25 for that image is going to be, you know, a pittance in reality when it comes to your looking, comes looking at your budget. Yeah. And our, um, our best piece of content ever, uh, is a security camera video, which is clearly not like 4k quality, right? But this is the video camera that captured a fire happening in a CNC machine. And it was actually suppressed in, in four seconds. And, and the guy's sitting there in his shop and he's on the phone and he turns around and it's, it's real, you know, and, and people want to see like real social proof like that. So that was, 
it's probably generated several hundred thousand dollars of revenue that video which Crazy. we just like, we saw it on instagram the guy had posted it on his instagram and we asked him to send it to us and now we have it so people can actually check that out i said stalk you guys on facebook go to the facebook ads library and just search for fire trace and you can go see that video yourself because i know it's up there because i've seen it yep. it's <laughs> pinned it's pinned on our linkedin timeline too is it okay very cool very cool but yeah, you can you can promote case studies in the social feed. That's another thing that I learned, which is really interesting because I think a lot of people are talking about promoting top of the funnel content or like brand awareness content, educational content, which is also good to promote to drive, you know, that awareness of your brand and having people associate your brand with industry and thought leadership. But you can also just stick middle bottom of the funnel case study content in people's feeds as well. And sometimes they'll convert on the first touch, which is insane. But other times, you know, and it's hard to track this, but they'll see six educational articles from you. They'll start to recall your brand name and then they'll see that case study with a hard hitting video. And that'll be the trigger to say, now I need to just request a quote. Right. So how often are you distributing content out on, on paid social? Like what, like for people listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, I've never thought about using Facebook ads, um, which is, I think that's what you guys normally do to push content out. Like how often would you be serving up a new piece of content and would you use a different audience every time or would you use, or would you just deliver it to the same audience? We deliver it mostly to the same audience. We have refined the audience over time and sure. some, it aligns exactly with our business strategy. So we have four segments that we go after and we target some of those end users in certain segments on Facebook that works really well. And other users, we have to go to LinkedIn. And it, it, that's all about the data set. Facebook has a decent data set. Company and job titles are, are pretty accurate on Facebook, at least in industries where people stay in the same job for a long time. Yeah. But uh, the interest the interest data is worthless on Facebook. Do not do interest targeting on Facebook if you're B2B, in my experience. But on LinkedIn, you get much more accurate and up-to-date job titles, and you get a lot more data about you know what industry they're in. You get data about the size of the company. You get, it's just the data set is a lot more rich. So depending on how niche you're going, um, you might need to use LinkedIn over Facebook. LinkedIn is way more expensive. So you want to have a high value per customer, like how much revenue can you generate when you acquire a customer in Not order bad. to invest in LinkedIn. The other thing that I've realized with Facebook, which is super interesting is, um, if, if your industry has very specific job titles, like welder, uh, that that's a job title that's not in any other industry. So you can find those people on Facebook very easily, but if it has non-specific job titles or your target is a non-specific job title, like maintenance manager, which could be in any industry, then you might have to go LinkedIn so you can target a more rich data set. Right. One other tip on the welder thing, like I would always layer another set of targeting over that so if i wanted someone who had a who had welder in their title but i was looking for a foreman or a production manager i would i would layer management on top of that just to make sure it wasn't um if, if i were targeting like a b2b for an, for an account-based sale as opposed to i was doing more like um e-com yes you can just target a welder and just do it but definitely i think a lot of people and i've seen this even at my last company 
they would just very blindly put in, you know, the jobs title and just trust it would do it. But don't like, experiment with layering additional additional uh, targeting features on top of it to refine your audience. You want to be in that 25 to 75,000 range, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. But usually it's the more narrow your audience, the better. Um, and you can and you can see kind of what the response is like. How are you measuring success for your content with that kind of distribution strategy? And and we we basically pivoted off of content at this point into distribution, which I, I really think is the most important part of this conversation. And the crux of it is ways to distribute your content because I think a lot of people make the mistake like, oh, we'll put it up once on our LinkedIn page, company page, and then be done with it. Um, yeah. But you have to distribute your content aggressively, like no one's going to find it unless you allow them to find it, uh, unless your SEO strategy is that good. But I think if you are an industrial company, what you're going to find, and I have found this in my time, there's not always a ton of search volume in your industry. There's just not. And you can go and check it out yourself, see what you sell, what is your main competency, and go search it. I mean, maybe you don't have a tool like Ahrefs, but you know, use a tool like, I mean, even a Google plugin or Uber Suggest or Keyword Planner, like you said, Sometimes there's just not going to be a ton of volume there and you're going to have to go aggressively find your target audience uh, with paid strategies like you're doing. So how, how are you measuring success for it? What, what, what constitutes that for you? So the number one metric is marketing generated pipeline in dollars. So it is in HubSpot when a lead comes in and they request a quote, like oftentimes this is the first conversion. Hello, I would like a quote for six systems. It's great. That gets entered as a deal. We mark the deal. There's a custom deal property. We mark it as inbound, or you could, you could mark it as marketing sourced, whatever you want to call it, but we mark it as inbound. So that's now an inbound deal. And then we've got a dashboard set up that says how many dollars are in our pipeline from inbound deals. And then I layer an additional filter over that which is about which describes the end customer segment. So one of our segments is machine shops. So, and we do a lot of marketing to machine shops. And so if I'm running a lot of campaigns that are targeted at machine shops, then I'm going to measure inbound dollars, but I'm going to measure inbound dollars to machine shops mm -hmm. because an inbound inquiry that's coming from a totally different industry that I'm not marketing to is not the result of my marketing, right? It's the result of brand recognition built up over many years, but it's not a result of what I'm doing right now. So I specifically look at those inbound dollars associated with ideal customer profiles. Sure. Very good. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a lot of great tips for people right there to take home with them, uh, I, would, I would definitely say. Um, what is let's uh, let's flip over to your let's flip over to your experience sure. yeah and then we and then we'll come back to like what we learned from this podcast at the end yeah yeah kind of our current perspective you know like because i i have some some additional thoughts i could probably share but i sure. want to understand how you got started and i'd love to just put that against my dream. Oh, could, you, could you repeat that question for me mj yeah, no, I, I just want to go back to how you got started with content. How did you start to figure out, hey, I can drive results by doing this? And what did you learn over time? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, and I got started in content really the first time was my first sort of marketing job, which was part time. I, I worked at, the, at a general contractor and I, I got to redo our website and I did it in WordPress. 
and, and built it with the consultant, but like I, I did a lot of the heavy lifting, doing the website taxonomy and, and writing out the pages and stuff like that. Um, and we, I kind of got started a little bit by just templatizing our RFP process. It was business to government. Um, and so we would make content around things that we wrote about all the time. So we would always write about scheduling. We would always write about safety and we would always write about quality control. And so I was thinking, well, why wouldn't we just create content around those things and, um, and see if we can just make that something where we basically ex expand on our templatized thing that we would use for an RFP response. And then we'd be able to just plug it in for anything that we would do. So I didn't stay at the company long enough to see that all come to fruition. I ended up leaving like almost six, about six months after I, I finished that website build. And, and again, like it was such a foreign concept to these guys. I, I couldn't get a lot of buy-in, but at Binzel, um, I did find a lot more uh, momentum with that. So what I did at Binzel when I started doing content marketing is um, the welding industry has a lot of trade, trade magazine publications. And so we had a whole database of old magazine articles that we had written that had never been repurposed for anything else. So I was like, well, this is a great starting point. So I went through all those old word, basically they were word docs of just magazine articles. And I essentially just refreshed them. I was like, I went to my product manager and I said, hey man, I see we have this really cool article on contact tips. Um, can we update this? And then can we use it as a blog? That ended up being the most successful blog I ever wrote. Um, and it generated a thousand plus views a month, which was awesome, straight SEO and like seven minutes average time on page. Like it was just, it just became like a really, really good article for us. Um, and so that kind of cued me in on content, like, all right, well, this is what people care about. People care about the things they replace all the time. So I essentially from that point, cause I just, I just made that logical connection. It was like, okay, people replace this all the time. So they're always looking for it. So that made me say, okay, what else do you replace all the time on a welding gun? Well, nozzles is the other one. So I went and I, I wrote a whole blog on nozzles. That ended up being the second most successful thing I ever wrote. And then I just kept going down and down and down the list of consumables for, for welding. Um, so wire and wire liner. Um, and those ended up being like the most successful things that uh, I wrote for top funnel awareness for our, for our content. Um, and then I started looking at other core competencies and also I looked at it from a business standpoint for us. So like, what is a high value sale for us? Cause like consumables are cheap, you know, um, you know and we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna sell a consumable without selling it an end product, like a, an assembled configurated product. So I was like, okay, well we need to do something a little bit more substantial in order to get leads in instead of just traffic, right? Cause leads and traffic are different. So four years ago, eBooks, and they still are in the manufacturing space considered to be good pieces of content to pursue. So I looked at what is our business focus and what's going to give us the most business result. And also which subject matter expert is going to work with me to build that piece of content out. Like everyone was based remotely. So I had to manage that time and I had to find someone who had the energy to do it with me. So Etienne, uh, who was our fume extraction expert was the first guy to put his hand up and go, I will volunteer. I, I really want to do this. And I was like, great, well, let's work on a fume extraction guide together. And so we worked on, you know, our first fume extraction piece and fume extraction was a huge push for us as a business. We had a really great fume extraction product and welding um, where it was like source capture. It was unique. It, it, it saved, it rescued or, or recovered, or I'm, I'm using like, terminology that doesn't, it extracted more fumes. Um, and so we ended up making like 
uh, an ebook where I was like, let's just cover this soup to us. Tell me everything that everyone asks you in a sales process about fume extraction guns, because not a lot of people see it. And let's just explain it to them in excruciating detail. And so we did. And so that was the first like inbound campaign I put up and I'd already had HubSpot started before I even had my first inbound campaign, put the landing page up. And, um, and it just, it instantly just worked. I mean, I made middle fun. It was a middle funnel content. It was a 20 page ebook. It was 18,000 words. It had a lot of pictures, uh, some graphs and it's like, all right, well, we're not, I can't count on people to just kind of go to our website. I have to start distributing it. So even though I knew nothing about doing paid ads, I was like, let's go do LinkedIn ads and see how it works. And this is before I even thought about uh, customer lifetime value or what's the average sale price. I ended up doing that later and it worked monetarily for me. So I ended up not really having to worry about it so much. There were other products I did where it didn't work as well. Um, and we ended up getting just leads in doing that. And the first person, like one of the first 50 people who downloaded that ebook instantly became a $200,000 deal for us. And that really is what has largely spurred the rest of my career, to be honest with you. Um, in content and in, in content marketing. Um, and so we made more ebooks around other things that were made business sense for us um, and that we were very confident in. So seam tracking was another that made a ton of sense because it's a minimum $30,000 to buy that and it's up to 180,000. Um, and then there was um, robotic welding or like robotic welding guns, which didn't which got a lot of downloads, but didn't get a lot of deals. And I figured out why later and I can get into that. Um, and then, um, lightweight, like MIG guns, which is another one where again, got a lot, didn't got a, got some downloads on that, but didn't sell a lot. And I, I realized why on that too. And I can, I could, I'll gladly get into both of the re those reasons. So beam extraction and seam tracking both did really well for us because a lot of people didn't understand how those worked. So they needed to, they all wanted to learn about it. Robotic welding was the whole sales model of that was project-based. So it wasn't like you were going to an end user to get your product um, bought. You actually were actually having to go to an integrator to get your product specced in. So we had a targeting issue with that that I realized later after talking with my sales team more and figuring that out. And so we pivoted on that and ended up doing better. And then MIG guns was just, it's almost a commodity. So a lot of people sort of just felt they knew what it was. So there wasn't a lot that you could teach people. So you were almost better off going the consumable route um, at that point in time, because that's really what mattered for B2B companies. So um, long story on how I got kind of started with content, but I basically leaned on my subject matter experts. I kind of fell into SEO in a couple different ways with content, but I actually found the best thing to do um, was to leverage my email list a lot more. So um, one of the things I recognized after we got these ebooks, e like it, it had, it, it worked really quickly. Like three years ago, we published an ebook and we get a lot of downloads on, on like three of these, especially, um, but then it tapered off, right? Cause you can only convert so much direct traffic and organic traffic, I think from these ebook downloads. So we started looking at it in terms of, okay, well, we need to, we need to, we need to repackage this offer and do something different. So that's where we got into doing webinars. Um, and that's really where we started leveraging our email list a lot better. So what we did was I basically took our fume extraction ebook and I looked at it with Etienne and I said, we can make three different webinars out of this one ebook and just run them for 30 minutes a piece. And we can get a lot and we can just re-engage people with our subject matter expertise. And so we did. 
And that ended up being wildly successful. I mean, we were getting like 100, 200 people showing up to our webinars for stuff that we already had published on our website, right? It was already up there. You could download and read this, but we just repackaged it in a different way, made it more interactive, um, condensed it, made it engaging. Um, and it ended up just kind of reinvigorating traffic for us and interest, especially as we were rolling new products out. So um, that to me was really interesting. And then uh, another thing we did with the blog content is I recognized with consumables, anything you do well uh, that does well for SEO, if you can find a way to video that product, it will probably also do really well on YouTube. And so I basically took the contact tip video, the wire video, the nozzles video, and I made, we made videos out of them. And all of them have 3000 plus views on YouTube today. You can go search nozzles or contact tips and we're gonna be one of the first three results you're gonna see up there. And in some cases we'll be number one and, and people just, just see it. And so that, that was really great for our awareness too. And one of the reasons was because the market was already there. There were big giants, uh, big giant educational channels. Todd Klauser, who we've had on the show, uh, was a perfect example with well.com. Like that audience was existed. They were already there. So you could basically kind of piggyback off that because a lot of brands don't do a good job on YouTube. And you could siphon traffic off of them by either by just having stuff that's related and it'll show up on that kind of feed as that sort of next video. So that's, um, so that's, that's in, a, in a nutshell kind of how I, uh, how I approach traffic or how I approach content and how that evolved for me. I feel like it went in a lot of different directions there, but I hope that was coherent. It's funny, like in the middle of your explanation, I was like, okay, we've talked a lot about writing. We've talked a lot about eBooks and blogs and all this stuff. So, you know, I was about to be like, hey, let's rapid fire cover off a couple of things, webinar, email, video. And then you, then you, in the middle of the same train of thought, you were like webinar, email, video. I was like, okay, great. Can't even have to ask. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, we, this is kind of going to be like a great assist almost, but when we had Kareem on also Kareem talked about how a lot of industrial companies have big email lists and have no idea how to use them. Um, and so like one of the things that we, we did not do at Benzo, it's one of my biggest regrets is we didn't distribute enough content by email to our existing list. We always made it event-based, right? It was like, here's our new product, go check it out, get a demo or get a quote, or here's our webinar, come and join us like on this date at this time to join us for 30 minutes on this webinar. But you know what a lot of companies, industrial companies don't do, and I don't understand it, is they don't you know, email out you know, their new content for the week. If they, have, if they make content, new content weekly, or if they make new content monthly, like just round it up and even go around your industry, right? Go to your big trade magazine and go find your favorite article you found from them and send it to your email list, go for it. Like it actually gives you more legitimacy and, it, and it, it builds more trust in you if you're able to weave in your own unique content with other content from around the industry that people would be interested in. So I think a lot of, um, I, I really regret not doing more of that at Benzel. And if I were to do it over again, I would, I would push that a lot, uh, a lot more. Yeah, our, um, our automated email that literally just tells people about our newest blog posts that goes out weekly performs way better than you would think. It's like... Yeah. I, I would assume that that kind of email wouldn't perform well because it's too easy, right? It's like, yeah. oh, it, it, it's too easy. It, it's not going to produce great results. That's an exception. The other just low-hanging fruit is if someone submits a request for quote or like a bottom of the funnel form conversion, what does your auto reply say? Uh -huh. And we use our auto reply to distribute content. We actually, I think right now we're using it to distribute that same video I talked about earlier that just like crushes it on Facebook 
but the the click through and the open rates, I think the open rates like 60%, right? Because you just submitted the form, right? You're interested in hearing from this company. So if an email hits your inbox, you're going to open it. It's like 60 or 70%. Our, our normal email open rates like 30, you know, yeah. so double. And the click through is like 35 or 40%, which is insane. Like a, a typical click through, I think, if you look at like MailChimp data is like 3%, right? I think ours is a little higher because we have a pretty engaged email list, but like 35 to 40% is an insane click-through rate. And that's just like an easy win. Yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, I think the email list is just grossly underutilized. I think most too many industrial companies use it as like a, a way to do promotions and offers and not as a way to distribute content. I would, think you could probably use it in addition. If you want to keep doing promotions, you can, and you can just create a new list and send just a straight value content one. And I guarantee you, you will, I guarantee you your promotions will actually do better off of that because you're going to build more no like trust. Um, and you're not going to be seen as being overly transactional in your email cadences. So I, I would say anybody who does that, and I know a lot of companies that do, you know, think about that as just a, another distribution channel for yourself. So let's let's walk into like today like what are you looking at today for content and i mean we've done this podcast now since may or not march i think right it's been march since we've done this podcast it's kind of amazing um because we we didn't even know each other before we started this podcast and i think we had one discuss we didn't even talk in person before we did our first podcast we actually just messaged on linkedin and then did it and now we just basically make a weekly thing out of this um what have you learned from doing this podcast that has surprised you um, and how do you, how has it affected your approach to content, honestly, like now at Firetrace? So I think my biggest takeaway from doing this podcast is storytelling. So when we, when we did the episode with Todd, I remember both you and I afterwards were like, this episode really sounded like a story and it's just so much easier to remember all the takeaways it's super engaging so ever since we did that episode i think honestly that was kind of a fluke that's named how it goes a lot <laughs> so it kind of affected our approach to that particular episode but ever since that i've always tried to prep for the podcast and write my questions for the guests in such a way that they'll take us on a journey like and it'll it'll come out in story format and I'm trying to do that across all of my content because the story is like the oldest content format of all time, right? So if you can build more of that story arc into all of your content, I just think it'll hit better with your target audience. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think industrial companies really struggle with that because they think people want like a lot of engineering speak. They want a lot of data. Uh, but even when you have those things and you have to weave them into your content, find a way to, to paint a picture and tell a story around it, right? Um, you know, you can use use cases. Um, one of the things that I like to do a lot of, and I know this isn't possible for a lot of companies, but you know, ask your sales guys about demo stories, right? Like when they go do demos, like they all have, and I remember this going to trade shows with my old team, they would have great stories about visiting customers and like ways they were using stuff wrong and like ways they were misusing equipment and how they had to like teach them to do it better. And like, those are the perfect kind of things to use as storytelling within your content pieces. If you're able to extract those out of your, out of your, your team who goes on site to visit end users, cause that's the stuff that's going to relate. Like I remember one story, my sales guy told me, 
he had a, he just sold an account uh just converted them to new welding guns and one of the welders was welding and he literally and if you don't know welding you're not going to know this isn't going to maybe sound profound to you but like this guy literally was dragging his nozzle on the metal piece and welding with it and basically they were just like exhausting nozzles and tips because of that because you're not you're, you're supposed to not like have it touch the workpiece but he was literally just dragging it across it and so we use that as the basis for one of our blog posts and it was it, it was and it was a great like salvo opening salvo to the blog post about like how to correctly you know, position your torch to use in a welding scenario or like ways or like ways to cut down on consumable usage, like just really easy stuff. And like, that's the thing, like, I mean, you guys will run into the same stuff over and over and over and over again. And as a marketer, you're gonna end up making the same kind of content over and over and over and over again. You have to set to find new ways to repackage it and make it interesting and put new twists on it in order to get it out and make it compelling for yourself. Because, um, you know, innovation in the industrial moves kind of slowly. So it's just something where you're going to have to figure out creative ways to just tell the story around what you guys are doing. I think in my regard, what I've learned most about the podcast is one, the podcast itself is a great content medium that industrial companies need to figure out how to use. Um, there's a couple out there who do a really good job. Um, but for B2B companies, like, I mean, first off, the cost of doing it is very low. Um, you can literally do it for free, which is what MJ and I do, we do it for free. Uh, secondly, like, it's just like the webinar, when we were talking earlier, like one of the things I love about webinars is how you're able to repackage that again in the other stuff, audiograms, videograms, whatever, or take them and make them into blog posts. Cause like, you know, you're, the way that your subject matter expert will tell the story in person is different than the way he'll tell it to you when he's writing something or you're interviewing him for a, a blog post. So I love the podcast as a, as sort of a medium it's a way to get content out quickly. And I think one of the things I'm learning in my current role now is use podcasts to test content. Like it's a, it's a great way to test stuff if you're able to ship out like three episodes a week or four episodes a week, I know that's tough, but think about ways you can either do like interview formats or like five minute tip pieces or something like that. And so even the podcast, the podcast I'm doing at Gravy, uh, I'm gonna shamelessly plug it real quick, the Recurring Revenue Show. I'm, make, I'm using the first 30 episodes to throw anything I want against the wall and see what people respond to. And whatever they respond to, I'm doubling down on it, doing a lot more of it. So use, use podcast um, as a content medium for yourself. It's way easier for you to do because it's way, way easier for you to get your subject matter experts to talk to you in an audio format, just like this, instead of like, hey, you want to go do this webinar in front of 150 people? Like not everyone likes to do that. <laughs> so sometimes just like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and just recording it and saying, right, I'm just going to just make this a podcast and ship it out. Sometimes it's a lot easier to do. And um, I, I just, I think, you know, the, I, I, the podcast as a content, as a content medium, I'm just, I'm bullish on. Um, I saw a stat that was true. Um, there's like 400,000 podcasts out there on Apple. Half of them aren't even active. There's 1.3 billion websites um, out there. So the chances of you um, getting found with your podcast is way easier than with your website. And again, you can distribute it way easier with your email list or even, you know, plug it with, uh, or even plug in on your social channels or with your subject matter experts on their own profiles. You do have to distribute it though. Like, again, I feel yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. the theme of this, this episode right now is you can't just make content, you have to distribute content. We both, Matt and I have been building LinkedIn followings. I think I started in October. Matt, you might've started in December or January. Mm -hmm. yeah. And LinkedIn's organic reach is insane, right? Like 
you can reach, you know, at least one X your followers, but if you have a good post like two X or three X or four X, the number of people that are following you, really good posts might go 10 X the number of people that are following you. Whereas on other social media platforms right now, you're not even going to reach a hundred percent of your follower count. Like on Facebook, I think it's like 10%. So you need to find a good place to distribute it. LinkedIn is awesome. Yep. Um, here's a stat from our podcast, which is our actual plays of the podcast have been U-shaped. And what I mean by that was when we first launched it, we had a ton of people like, okay, cool, new podcast, we're going to check it out. And then it kind of decreased to this stable level over right. the next couple of months. It took us four months to get to a thousand total plays. And then in the last three weeks, we've gotten another 500 plays. And it's like yeah. kind of gone exponential in the last three weeks. So I think the takeaway from that, at least this is early data, right? But the takeaway from that for me is like, you got to stay committed because once you kind of cross that 20 episode threshold, I think that's when your audience starts to really build and you start to gain sustainable upward traction. Yep. And consistency is so key, right? Like we've, we've done one every single week without fail. Um, and you know, missing that time is like out of sight, out of mind, cause people will subscribe and you'll pop up to the top of the Apple feed when you do that, which is a big reason why I would recommend if you want to do a podcast, try to do three or four times a week Because every time you post a new episode and someone subscribes to you, guess where you go? The top of the Apple feed. So, I mean, I think, I think if you want to, if I were to do it for a company, what I would do is I would try so hard to make all of my podcasts 15 minutes or less all my episodes, we, we do longer form because this is, this is for fun for us. And this is, this is for our own, our own brand and our own network. But if I'm doing it B2B, I'm doing 15 minutes or less and I'm just shipping as many hours as possible. And I'm making it really bite-sized. And then I'm sending as many hours a week as I possibly can, seeing what people respond to and then doubling down on it. And then basically using that to make additional content. That's, that's how I would think about it as a, as someone who wanted to do it in, in B2B for, for industrial. And I promise you, if you work in machining or in welding or in plastics or polymer or, or piping and mechanical engineering, whatever it is you do, there will be an audience out there for podcasts for you. You just need to go distribute it and find them and make a compelling and engaging enough experience that they're gonna wanna keep coming back. Um, I can give you two examples of, um, yeah, I give you I give you two examples of podcasts in the industrial space that do really well. One is the Arc Junkies podcast, which I would definitely recommend checking out. It used to be hosted by Jimmy McKnight. It's now hosted by Jason Becker. Um, and then what was the other one? Welding Tips and Tricks is another one. And so if you don't think you can make a podcast from about an industrial thing, because it's too tangible, it's too like I have to grab it and hold it and like use it. It's, I'm gonna say flat out radio edit. It's bullshit. Okay, you can actually do that. All right. So go look at those guys and see what they're doing because they'd be a great litmus test for you to figure out how to do it in your space if you don't know how to do it yet. Making chips is another great one, which yes. is in machining. That's Nick Gilner. Um, yeah, the, and I, I think they have guests sometimes, but a lot of the times it's just the three of them like talking about different topics. So, so that's kind of why I was like, all right, Matt, you and I can just do an episode this week. Like, and, yeah. and I'm glad we got to get super tactical. You know, hopefully, I, I think we will like the tactical because you know, it's, it's much better when you can contextualize and you can get some actionable stuff. So maybe, maybe we'll do this format more often. 
Maybe. I think one of the things I would like to talk about in the future, which uh, I mean, we're just going to, I'm just going to riff on this is, um, is building out like your funnel a little bit. Like, how do you, how do you sort of structure that from a marketing standpoint? This is something that I struggle with a ton at Benzel. And uh, it was because we didn't have the right personnel. And I know you have a little more influence at the VP level to, to get, get things aligned, but like structuring your funnel so you can maximize like that lead conversion, like that lead to SQL sort of funnel, that pipeline, um, in order to make sure that people who are consuming your content and getting that quote request, making sure you're getting those into deals. Cause like, you know, if you're talking to your CEO about all the leads you generated, you're not making, you're not having the right conversation. Like it comes down to pipeline and revenue. So you got to find a way to, to, if, if you're struggling, you need to put processes or systems in place to make it more effective for yourself. Cause no one's going to do it for you unless you can diagnose that problem and fix it. So I'd like to talk about that more. Um, Cause it seems like you got a good recipe for that. Maybe we'll see. Maybe. We can we'll see do that on a future episode. Anyway. All right. Should we wrap it? Yeah, let's wrap it. Okay, guys, you can subscribe to the industrial marketer on Apple, Spotify, or any of the major podcasting platforms. Please leave a review. Please rate us five stars and leave a review. Also pro tip for podcast reviews, um, written reviews, vault up your podcast ranking. So go ask all your friends to review your podcast. If you listen to this podcast, please review us. We want to vault up. We want to get closer to Joe Sullivan. Um, if you have any questions or would like to reach out to us for a topic idea, if you want to be a guest on the industrial marketer podcast, please reach out to MJ or myself. Our DMs are open on LinkedIn. And for that, my name is Matt. And I'm MJ. And this is the industrial marketer podcast. Have a great rest of your day, guys. Thanks so much for listening.